हेलो फैम वॉम वेलकम टू अर सेकेंड एपिसोड ऑफ एक्सटार्ट सीरीज बाईकोड वी हैव क्रिएटर ऑफ आई पी नाइस साइबर सिक्योरिटी स्पेशलिस्ट दस थ्रेट एंड मालवेयर इंटर लेट्स वेलकम साइबर सेक हेयर इट टॉक्स अबाउट फिशिंग मालवेयर अनालिसिस हाउ ओ एस एन आई टी इज हेल्पफुल टू गेट इन्फॉर्म वेरियस थ्रेट एक्टर्स विदाउट वेस्टिंग टाइम लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड Uh, while being in malwa community how have you seen the landscape change or differ yeah it's good it's a good question thank you very much for having me um so looking at the landscape i've certainly seen ransomware uh trend growing um it's it, it's becoming more widespread it's getting easier for threat actors to get their hands on it. it's targeting larger organizations as well we've seen some really big corporations being hit with ransomware which has cost hundreds and millions of pounds to consumers but also to the companies mm-hmm. we're seeing much more professional threat actors as well we're seeing sort of less of this hacktivism script kiddie stuff due to this expansion of this malware as a service and it's becoming a lot easier now we're seeing threat actors becoming much more sophisticated as well as bigger targets and more attacks in general i think we're seeing targets and organizations which normally you think they'll be impenetrable being taken down by what is quite common malware as well as just more attacks daily we're seeing more malware phishing ddos just it's it's increasing everything's ramping up what are your thoughts on future of malware trends Oh so it's everyone would love to know this everyone would love to know so we could predict the future um i think sort of looking forward uh, sort of forecasting to the future i think larger organizations will continue to be targeted by more advanced actors i think we'll see the money that could be made is not in home users anymore there will almost be a stepping stone into organizations I also think malware as a service we've seen this growing I think this will continue to expand where unskilled actors are able to gain access to some very powerful and well built tools I think this will mm-hmm. spread as well to have sort of ransomware as a service which we've seen but then phishing as a service is coming up now we've got magecart as a service lots of other DDoS as a service that's sort of a, a small one it used to be around sort of botnets and booter services but i think this whole service culture where you pay a very small amount of money and you suddenly get access to a very big tool um is going to just yeah keep growing uh, so the, a lot of people requested me to ask this what is your favorite type of malware sample is it rats ransomware iot etc so i think my favorite malware has to be at the moment it's stuxnet i think it was such a formidable piece of malware i think it did something really really clever that opened everyone's eyes but equally at a very close second is is mottet at the moment and when it gets taken down which i believe will happen i think it might move to number 1 so i'm sticking with stuxnet at the moment cuz i think there's a great story on that but mottet is certainly near the top for me as well what has been the most interesting malware sample you have 
come across in recent times? Yeah, so I, I see a lot of interesting samples all the time. There's there's not a, a single entity that I enjoyed um, specifically, but I get a I get a buzz when I see new samples that employ new tactics, techniques, or procedures, new TTPs. So when when we're doing the sort of the same thing day in day out, it get a little bit monotonous. But when you get a new sample, something that's using a resource, it's it's calling something, it's it's loading itself, it's injecting somewhere that you've not seen before. That's quite exciting because you might see it and go, well, how how is this working? Why is it doing that? And when you're able to step back and work it back, you're like, oh God, this is brand new. I've never seen it do X, Y, or Z. And that's exciting. That gives me like a woo, I've, I've managed to do something brand new. And uh, which malware sample made you the laugh most? Oh, made me laugh the most. There's been lots. Yeah. I, I do enjoy when you get a sample through and it is just, they've tried to make it really difficult, but all they've ended up doing is just making something more fun to reverse. So I had something the other day, uh, I think it was an Agent Tesla sample, and it was just so basic. They'd like encoded in hex and base 64, and you read it and you're like, come on guys, this is obvious. And they were using paste bin as a, a loading mechanism, and it's like, ah, oh, just be original. And that made me laugh because it was so, <laughs> you could just, it was so obvious, one thing at a time, and you're like, oh, fine there's there's your answer there's what you want but you you've made this 10 times harder than it needed to be <laughs> uh, do you collaborate with others on projects why or why not uh, yeah absolutely i'm very i like to think i'm very much engaged in the open source community um i like to think i'm approachable my sort of on twitter i'm very active my dms are open and i'm I love a chat. I'm on lots of Slack channels where I talk to people. So yeah, very, very much engaged. I enjoy working on open and closed source projects as well. Um, I can't talk about the closed ones, but they're through links and interactions with people that we've been working on stuff together. I just enjoy sharing, sharing sort of my knowledge and also helping to facilitate knowledge sharing as well. I, I run a couple of Slack channels as well where I've bringing sort of these top level researchers in that were out on their own and it's like mate come over here let's let's see what share this with others and then they, you just watch them grow and flourish and it's it's a great feeling can you please give us some insight on your recent projects yeah so at the moment i'm i'm sort of working passively on a phishing intelligence platform if you like so hoping that that can start to see a phishing page which might look like any other credential phishing page but actually give you a lot more information on the actors the orientation and lots more intel based on that so that's something i'm working on at the moment again once again a lot of audiences requested me this to ask you outside of malware world and which infosec field do you like the most so outside of malware uh, my interests lie mainly in credential phishing so when you sort of have a website spun up to impersonate a a, a legitimate service we see netflix dropbox microsoft office apple all these things that are still credentials they're really interesting um 
I've also spent a lot of time with mage cart or sort of e-skimming. So this is where threat actors will compromise an e-commerce website and then they will load JavaScript code onto the payment page and steal people's credit card information. Um, and I, I think the reason I enjoy them is I enjoy stuff that targets and impacts innocent victims. You, I sort of see some stuff and I'm thinking, well, the only person that's going to get that is someone else that's being a bit naughty or a DDoS, for example, targeting a bank. It's like they've got the facility to, to prevent it. But when you've got credential phishing going after innocent people, that's, that's what I think is wrong. And that's what I will spend my time finding, detecting, burning and, and building up information and trying to find who's, who's responsible for that. How are you spending your quarantine? Uh, cycling. So I, I do a lot of, of cycling, road and mountain bike. So anything, I'm getting outside on the road, in the fields, uh, away from the computer screen, cycling around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it necessary to know programming languages to reverse malware samples? So th this is an interesting question, um, and it normally get asked this from people who are who are looking to get into into the field. And my answer is is the same. A, a person needs to be familiar with coding concepts. At the end of the day, it's a it is a language, and you can't just go and start speaking German or Spanish. You need to you need to know the language, and a programming language is is the same. You need to understand the language and the concepts. So you can understand like program flows, like if you have a for loop within a for loop, what happens? How many times does that run? And it can start melting your head sometimes. So having a good base is important. But equally, I can't code in, in all the languages, but because I've got an understanding, I'm able to read most code. So I think it's, it's more important to be able to read code. Um, personally, I'm, I'm able to code in in quick and dirty languages as i like to say I'm, I'm not a professional programmer i don't spend hours and hours coding i will write something quickly um, and hope it runs for the period that i need it to run so i i personally program in in python um, and i do a little bit of bash as well anything that i can spin up get a job done automate it and then it will inevitably crash but it's it's done its task <laughs> Uh, which programming language you're familiar with? Uh, so Python. Python is the one that I started on, to be honest. Um, and that's the one that I, I mainly stick to. But I've also moved a little bit into bash scripting in Linux as well. That's I think Linux Terminal is a very powerful tool with some very uh, useful concepts that bash is able to utilize. Uh, which language would you suggest beginners to learn? I personally suggest Python. It's an easy language to read. It's easy to understand. There's no complicated configuration required. There's lots of online tools that can teach you it. Um, lots of online classes as well. And it's also very good because it can be used in a multitude of places. So if you're interested in 
web development there's abilities to add python in there if you're looking at sort of malware you can interact with that if you're looking at really basic sort of hello world and asking users for their age you can you can do all that in python how is osnit helpful in malware field yes yeah, so osint is a, is a really great skill um, being able to use it to pivot within data um, and online to build up sample repos and real world attribution is really valuable. A lot of the time, someone has already done what you're trying to do. Uh, I, I often find that I, I get something what I think is brand new and you spend hours and hours and you realize, oh, hold on, it, it's already been done, something's already been investigated. So, so yeah, OSIN's great at the beginning, the middle, and the end of a project is being able to find other examples find other data to utilize it's very difficult to effectively work with only one piece of data if you're able to gather a magnitude of data it will certainly help you out and make your life a lot easier uh, what mortality plugins do you use and why <laughs> I've, I've just put a comment of hell no um no i i leave volatility well alone that is for people that are far greater and better than i am any sort of volatile memory i will i will hand over to a professional i will i will leave that alone i'm aware of it and i, I know it exists but no i'm not i'm not playing with that thing what are your favorite debuggers is it Ghidra, Aida? immunity and, and why so i i rarely use debuggers um but when i do it will be ida and that is only because that's what i have training in um as i said i i rarely use one i find a lot of malware is is able to be decoded or investigated using basic tools like string virus total etc which malware analysis technique is uh, you know which is superior uh, static analysis or dynamic analysis um yeah so I, I think it really depends on the sample i don't think you can say that one is better than the other i will i, I will always start with static um, i think it's quite dangerous just to jump straight to dynamic and keep your fingers crossed because god knows what you're running so we'll start with static if i'm not able to get the answers or information that i require that way i will then move to more of a dynamic approach but at the end of the day it, it depends on the sample and it also depends on the overall aim of the investigation why spend nine hours staring at a code of assembly language when all they want to know is what website does it call out to and that'll be a lot quickly quickly that'll be done a lot quicker with dynamic analysis um, but again it, it depends on the aim of the investigation that you're you're involved in can you please uh, drop osnit resources uh... yeah yeah so I, I don't think i've got any secret ones that will blow the world open but the way that I will conduct OSINT is is Twitter. I think you should you should hammer Twitter and its advanced search features. These are really powerful and a great place to to do stuff. 
learning Google Docs um, and enhanced Google searches, you'll be amazed how much you can find already out there. Websites, VirusTotal, great for malware, um, reading community data and pivoting off there. Websites like URLScan.io is another great resource where you're able to use it as a sandbox for websites. Um, that's really powerful and got a great Elasticsearch feature as well. Uh, web uh, archive web as well to view old versions of websites. Sometimes they get updated, so that's really good to, to look back on. Um, Google also hosts a cache feature for some websites, so that's useful as well. Um, you can see that if you go on a Google search, you have a little sort of drop-down menu on the right-hand side of URL, which sometimes offer you cached data, so you can view the websites or old versions of as well. How common is phishing attacks? So it, it depends what type of phishing you're talk, talking about. I think a lot of people use the term phishing to describe numerous things. Uh, when I look at phishing, I look at credential phishing. This is where it's coming in, it's pretending to be always masquerading as something. I've got a, a project running at the moment which looks for phishing websites and builds up intelligence based on it. And I'm, I'm handling upwards of 3,000 unique phishing URLs a day. Um, and if you start adding those numbers up, it, it's huge. And I don't think that is the, I think that's the tip of the iceberg. I think there's a huge amount going on. You've got SMS phishing, which is, is huge. You've got phone phishing, so vishing when someone rings you up and says, oh, hello, I work for Microsoft. Can you go on your computer for me and type this in? And this is data that we can't see and collect. So I think it's a huge problem. I think it's very common. And it, we, we're seeing millions of emails every day um, with malicious intent flying around the, the internet. Uh, where can I find phishing data sets? So I have a thread on Twitter which uh, teaches people how, how to start phishing analysis. Um, I'm sure you can put in the show notes a link to that if I send it to you. Um, but on there, that shows you lots of different websites that can host it. You can use open source data such as URL scan, virus total. You've got paid options such as open fish, uh, phishing kit as well. Um, but there's lots of projects on Twitter as well, which which are looking to try and build information and giving you phishing sets as well to start as your initial investigation. And what techniques attackers use to send phishing? So there's there's lots of different techniques. We see email as a predominant one. Uh, it's normally quick and cheap to do. That can either be a plain text URL contained within the email message body. Sometimes you get attachments, which will then say in the attachment, oh, please click me. Uh, sometimes you get downloads that say, oh, please click me. Um, it's normally clicking a link. The, the thing I tell people is don't click the link. Um, again, you've got SMS, so this would come to your mobile phone as a text message. Um, so again, with a link um, that sort of panics you, makes you want to click it. It might say, oh, this text is, is broken, click here to view it online. Or it might even say your account's been locked, please click here to unlock it. 
So there's lots of ways that it gets shared around. I've seen WhatsApp groups that people are in that just post links to malicious content. So yeah, anywhere that you can share content, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere a threat actor is utilizing it to, to send malicious content. Are clickjacking and uh, phishing similar? Um, slightly. So, phishing is when you're you're sending a link to someone. You're trying to get the person to do something. Usually through social engineering. Um, Click jacking is normally defined as where you steal a, a user session. You're able to, to trick a user into clicking on something different than what the user perceives. So it's, it's, it's sort of the same. It's very similar, um, but I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. Are data mining and phishing the same? No, no. As as I said, um, phishing is when you're trying to trick a user into doing something, and data mining is a process of discovering patterns in large data sets. So it's it's hunting. You've got a massive load of data, and you're then using queries to try and mine that data to find statistics and understand the data uh, more complex. Uh, best approach to analyze a malware sample? So the best approach, so I, I say research, research and research again. Um, I think you'll get more results from investigative work quicker than you will by manually decoding the data. So most of the samples that you will get presented with have already or in part been researched before. I think people are surprised when they get something that looks like this huge, arduous task. That actually, a lot of it has already been worked, and you can actually find answers to most of your questions. And then you go, "Ah, I only need to understand this tiny little bit that is new," because a lot of threat actors sell code, edit code that's already been discovered and spoken mm -hmm. about. So it makes life a lot easier. So yeah, research, research, research. How would you gather more information on a threat actor? So, so there's something that we in the business called the pyramid of pain. Um, and this is trying to understand how you would you would categorize things. And right at the top of that is analyzing TTPs. So this is something that is really good to try and understand how a threat actor works, um, looking for sort of their almost human behavior in the data. Um, finding aliases as well. So you might have a threat actor known as threat actor X, but someone else calls it threat actor Y, and there's loads of information on there. So trying to find aliases and using that information. Um, and pivoting, I, I like this. It's a great gift mm -hmm. that goes alongside it, pivoting. So once you find a piece of information, you're able to utilize that new information to find more information. And it builds up a really good, a good picture. And, and talking to other people, there is nothing wrong. And I promote it um, to say, I don't know. Um, 
and I, I will often say I have no idea what I'm doing I don't understand or can you explain or can you help me um, that's I think that's really vital for people to know and to go to these groups um, that people are in and go help I need to understand or can you show me how to or does anyone have information on and that's where you build up connections and an understanding and that's how you learn as well as others which is the most effective way to fishing most effective way to stop fishing so there's lots of paid systems out there um, which will analyze your emails etc I, I think the most common way is don't click the link if you're not expecting something don't click it if your bank emails you to say your account's been locked go to their official website don't use the link that they've offered to you and just a good cyber hygiene as well if you've got different passwords if one of your accounts gets compromised you're not going to lose access to all your accounts um, and at the end of the day a url has to be unique you can't have two facebook.coms so spending a little bit of time don't get panicked and rushed and reading is this the real facebook because the url will tell you you've just got to look at it closely enough oh yes uh, i mean probably uh, training humans to deal with such things is the best way out probably yeah so i think technology can do a huge amount and i think it can get rid of some some of the data but at the end of the day threat actors will find a way to bypass it um, and i think that's what you should assume this is the reason we get paid and we're, we're in jobs because they avoid these automated computerized systems so as long as we understand that right. and we're able to use our human senses because this is why humans are so powerful we're able to do that that work that computers can't computers are very automated rule based but we're able to take a much more holistic viewpoint of it and go this can and this can't work or this should or shouldn't bypass it but we can't analyze everything so computers are great to an extent but yes it does require humans at the end at the end how is Linux malware changed over the time? So Linux malware, um, still pretty new to this, but I've seen a huge amount more uh, IoT or Internet of Things coming along. Botnets as well have expanded hugely. Um, we're even seeing nation states getting involved in, in this as well, which is, is not fun. Um, I think Linux malware will continue to grow and advance. Um, the issue is Linux is either run on IoT or servers of unmanaged devices which are, are very powerful or they're used on expert user systems um, and I would I would hope a lot of Linux users would know what they're doing um, unlike sort of a lot more Windows and Mac users who might just pick one up and it works Linux is a bit more specialist in that regard so I hope it doesn't continue to take off but with embedded systems i i think it will continue to target those uh, how do you classify malware samples based on their behavior sure so so at the top um i think you have to work out whether it's malicious or benign 
you'll be amazed how many times you see things that you start investigating and it's a legitimate piece of software. So, so trying to work out and also having an understanding in your organization for what is malicious is a piece of unwanted software going to be classed as malicious or not. So understanding that and then breaking it down. Um, I quite like descriptive classifications. Um, I'm not keen on terms like Trojan and worm. I don't think it says anything. I much prefer to be descriptive in the describing the data. So such as this is an email stealing piece of malware or this is a Mirai botnet sample capable of performing five DDoS techniques, for, for example. Can you please explain how malware bypasses anti-analysis and anti-VM techniques? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's not my, my strongest point, but I will explain it sort of a high level, my understanding. So anti-analysis um, can come in, it, it has a number of designs. It's trying, threat actors implement it to try and make it hard for automated and also manual analysis. So automated, you've got sort of signature based systems. So in this regard, they'll create new hashes of malware. So the signatures never stay the same. You might hear the term polymorphic thrown around a lot. So they'll keep creating the same malware, but adding and changing code or variables or padding data just to keep the, the hash changing. Um, you've also got sort of putting benign code in. This is quite a common feature. So you might open a piece of malware and just see thousands and thousands of lines and you just think, oh my God, where do I start? But you find out that hundreds of those lines don't do anything. Um, and it's just there to, to slow the analysis down. You've got obfuscation as well. So not having a variable name like payload and I am bad, having them as just random strings uh, can make it quite difficult as well. Um, and it also make they can sometimes rename variables. They might just rename variables for no reason. So it just makes everything more difficult to read. Um, some of the more complicated techniques are sort of code flow confusion. So you can start having data and variables which will return inverted data and having for loops and while loops that will try and change the flow of a program. There's lots of programming techniques and sort of software development life cycles, which try and teach people how to code and program in a methodical and logical way. And code flow confusion will try and turn that on its head and just change that up. And it, it just means when someone's reading it, it might make it much more difficult. You also asked about anti-VM, so this is anti-virtual machine. So lots of malware will try and detect whether it's running in a virtual machine or not. There's some basic Windows programs such as is debugger present. Um, mm -hmm. This is really common. It's so easy to bypass, but it's in there. It still adds a little like, oh, that's annoying. Some of the more complex things are trying to fingerprint uh, online sandboxes and paid sandboxes. So they try and gain as much information on the machines that are actually running the actual VM 
Um, and then they use things such as checking the Wi-Fi name, checking MAC addresses, uh, checking whether there's files on the system. I saw a piece of malware, of, it was a while ago now, but you had to have Microsoft Office files on your computer and if you didn't it wouldn't run um, and that's just saying if it's a real computer it will have microsoft office files on it uh, it can check usernames i know some some malware will uh, not run if a, if a computer has a certain username so this is again an anti-vm protection as well as implementing sleep functions there's a a popular online vm called app any run and this can run for a maximum, I think it's sort of three, four minutes. Mm-hmm. And so they put a sleep function. Well, I'll just sleep for seven because what's it to a threat actor if their malware takes seven minutes to run? It doesn't bother them. They're sending thousands out a day. Um, and this just means that anyone using the free version will get sort of stopped by this. Um, we also see sort of user movements. I've seen some that track a computer mouse and track keyboard strokes to try and detect if a user interacts with the computer. Um, so that's quite a clever one. Lots of these sandboxes are static computers that just run and there'll be no mouse movement or keyboard opening or files opening, no processes being spawned and reset. So that's quite a clever one. And the, the last one I've got on my list is uh, machine aging. So a lot of these VMs, the purpose of it is you can spin it up and you can break it down as well. So having a, a piece of malware that is able to detect how long a computer has been online and alive for will show whether it's a real computer or not. And and, and this is the, the the enjoyment, if you like. Um, this is the, the, the fun you get. It's it's a cat and mouse game. Threat actors will be, be at a stage and then we're catching them up and defeating their techniques. So they come up with a new one and then we find it, detect it, stop it and kill it. Um, some say cat and mouse, but I think that's very true. The threat actors are running around like mice, and the, the cat will always win. There's only there's only so many places a mouse can hide before we'll start going back to common techniques. And we see it now. We see reusal of code and reusal of, of techniques, and we go, well, we we know that exists, and we've stopped it. So moving on to the next thing. Uh, what are your techniques to detect beneficial here? So detecting phishing pages, there's lots of systems online that will do that for you. URL Scanner.io has a fantastic machine learning algorithm in the background that will detect a phishing page um, for common pages. We we come across some really complex and really difficult phishing pages. I'm in several closed Intel sharing groups and we'll share samples with each other and we'll go, does anyone know this? Like, is this phishing or not? Um, so it, it certainly confuses us sometimes. Uh, we start sometimes using the logo as a pivot, as I said, pivoting, sort of moving, using that data. So we might start searching the web for the logo, have we seen it used elsewhere? Um, this might give us more websites. Is there a legitimate website? Is there history to the domain? You can start looking at the source code as well. Lots of information can be contained in the source code as well of a website and trying to analyze that. Do I recognize it? Have I seen elements of this before? Are there any fingerprints in here? Is there anything that just doesn't look right? 
and when you get on a website sometimes it's really obvious if i'm on a really bizarre website that and it's showing me an apple login page or it's oh, that's clearly not legitimate um but yeah there's certainly some out there that have stumped me and it is just becoming an expert in your field it's spending hours and hours and hours looking at phishing pages and just learning the techniques and what to look for and understanding what's out there and that is only through time and exposure can you get that so the longer you spend out there the better you'll become and the quicker you'll be able to remediate these problems and detect phishing and scam pages etc how are threat actors trying to bypass uh, you I am modern antiviruses and uh, URL scan IO etc. Um, they they will try to do this kind of stuff by making it hard to find the website initially. So a lot of the time we see them putting them down sort of long chains of redirects and stuff. But you're going to have a real tough time trying to evade some of these tools because of the way they work and at the end of the day they need to expose it to somebody because they need people to access it so there is a cost benefit sort of seesaw if you like between how hard do i make it for someone in anti-phishing anti-malware to detect and, and investigate my code compared to how much do i want someone to click on it so the harder you make it for us to find the harder it is for a common user that they're trying to trying to fish so yeah there's no there's no techniques I'm, I'm able to talk about at the moment which which are doing anything successfully on those fronts how do you deal with malware uh, on your local host and what precautions do you use on your machine yeah so i i mainly run linux as my my base operating system and that removes a good chunk of the threats targeted um, towards it. At the end of the day, most malware is written for Windows uh, because that's the largest holder. Um, I also tell everyone, don't click links. <laughs> just, just stop clicking the links in your emails. Um, and that's another one. So then if you're not clicking links, there's there's limited ways that you can infect a box. You need to then get through and find a vulnerability on the actual operating system, which is a lot harder than delivering your payload through clicking on a link. So just having good, good cyber hygiene and understanding what you're clicking before you click it and, all, and never being rushed. I think just slowing down and reading is, does this seem legitimate? Should I click it? Where is it going to send me if I do click it? And I will, I will use some of my tools uh, before I do if I get an email I think well that doesn't seem quite right we can do something like passive reconnaissance where there'll be no fingerprint that we've interacted with a website um, and that's something that I will use sometimes on my own machine as well as just having basic antivirus as well I think people underestimate how powerful Windows Defender is on a machine it's, it's a really good tool it's got some great uh, detection features in there so just keeping everything clean and tidy as well as my machine i'll occasionally just burn it so i'll just rip the, uh, the sort of image off and then reinstall from from root um, and that's quite good if anything is on there that's sort of persisting in the background just stripping it down and starting again mm -hmm. uh, how do you play better on with root kits 
I I do not. <laughs> they are for <laughs> people far better than I am at anti malware. Uh, as I as I said to you, I will do the almost the easier stuff if you like, and then these hardcore geeks that are buried within an operating system and a kernel, I will leave them to deal with rootkits and volatility <laughs> and stuff. I think we are coming to end of a podcast. Thank you audiences for being with us. Stay tuned for more interesting podcasts and AMAs. Thank you, Jake, for joining us. We had a very good conversation. Uh, Take care and stay safe. Yeah, you too as well. Thank you very much for your time. Once again, pleasure talking to you. Cheers. Thanks now.